Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking why I left the fire movement with Gwen Mers. So most people in the U.S. have no problems when it comes to spending and when it comes to consumption. Like, I hate to say it, but shopping, like it's almost an an American pastime. (laughs) Uh, It certainly drives the economy, but not everyone out there indulges in retail therapy. Hopefully, listeners to the podcast, uh, hopefully they're less likely to mindlessly spend. And there's a certain subset of folks who actually struggle with actually the opposite problem. They mindlessly save money as opposed to mindlessly spend it. We frequently mention the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, and its strictest adherence are what we're discussing today. We're excited to be joined by basically a recovering member of the FIRE movement, uh, Gwen Mers. Uh, Gwen, she, she has been a part of the community for years now. She's the creator behind the blog, Fiery Millennials, and was recently featured in multiple Business Insider articles. Uh, and now she's working on a book documenting her FIRE journey. And here's a quote from her book proposal, actually. Super savers will improve the quality of their lives by shedding maladaptive behaviors and emotions. Oh, I feel snap. like nothing could sum up better what we're going to discuss today. So, Gwen, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Lots to discuss today, Gwen, especially as I'm just joking here, but you, you, throwing some Molotov cocktails uh, <laughs> in the fire community direction. And not really, but you, you've changed your tune quite a bit. So we're interested to talk to you about what led to that, actually, and kind of what got you into the fire movement in the first place. But our first question for for every person who comes on this show is, what's your craft beer equivalent? What are you splurging on today while you're still being intentional about saving and investing for the future? Yeah, so I've come to realize that there really isn't any space for hobby spending in the fire movement um, at its most austere. 
And I love to have many different hobbies. Having hobbies is my hobby. So um, I like spending money on painting supplies and stained glass and fabric for quilts and whatever other things I can get my greedy little hands on. (laughs) I think I saw in your your proposals or somewhere something about a $4,000 sewing machine. Yeah. At one time, my uh, What's that all about? Because... That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One time my sewing machine was the most expensive thing I own uh, to include my car. <laughs> yeah. It has a laser on it. So it guides, you know, yes. you can, like you can sew a straighter line. It is Dang. the most amazing thing I've ever had. It's the best. All I didn't right. even know they made sewing machines that cost that much, unless it was like in like some sort of fancy factory or like something. Like in some that, Japanese so. factory yeah. and it's just pumping out beautiful jeans. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations listen, to you, Gwen. I don't, I don't know. Um, if you want your bubble popped or not, but that is like a mid-range. Oh wow! Oh, sewing machine. Holy cow! Um, All right. The the high ends start at like ten grand and go up from there. Oh my gosh! Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, All right. Yeah. Sounds like there's a whole area of life I do not need to explore. Matt, <laughs> Matt might stick the needle point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll stick the craft beer. <laughs> Gwen, talk to us about what it is that drew you to fire in the first place. Like. How old were you? And I guess for you, why did that seem like the the right path to seek after financial independence? Yeah, so I found the fire movement through Mr. Money Mustache when I was uh, in my junior year of college. Which is, let's be honest, a normal response for a lot of people. Mr. Money Mustache was the gateway drug to fire for so many. Pretty much, yeah. Do you guys remember the website StumbleUpon? No. Oh, yes. You do? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could... Yeah, SU, it had the little plugins and it, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows what, you, you no, would like tell what, what you're about. interested in and then it would just like spit out an endless stream of content related to that. So one of the defaults was personal finance. And so I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I could use, I could stand to learn some more about personal finances. And so I put that as one of my interests along with sewing and, you know, all these other things. <laughs> and um, it gave me an article from Mr. Money Mustache's blog and I was like, oh, well, this is this is actually really interesting because I was completely unaware that there was an option to not have to work and when you were an adult. I thought everybody just worked until you were, you know, 65 and then maybe you got to retire of mm-hmm. your meager social security like I'd seen uh, most of my family do. And so I was like, oh, I need to learn so much more about this and just went really really hard on fire basically from the beginning yeah well because with mr money mustache's approach there's not really a whole lot of room for waffling it's kind of and and, and par- that's part of the appeal i think it's true of his style is like let's go all in and i think i mean there's a lot a lot of us can and have learned from mr money mustache but it also is a little intense um and so I, it's we're gonna talk about that in just a minute but what was the process like for you trying to amass this high six or low seven figure nest egg, what sorts of changes were you making in order to accelerate your progress? Well, see, I don't know if I really like made changes because I started so early that there wasn't really a before time. <laughs> it was like you were being formed. Yeah, she in hadn't, that very she moment. hadn't spent any money yet. Yeah. And so she was just like, well, that's easy. I just <laughs> keep doing what I've been doing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And like I hadn't had a decent um, education on personal finances from my parents in school. Like I knew to spend less than I made and to keep loans as short as you can and with lowest uh, interest rate possible. But um, this was like the next level, right? It was like the Rosetta Stone of how to become rich. Mm -hmm. And that, like I grew up poor. So I was like, if I follow these steps, I can become rich 
Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you brought that up because you like your history, your past. And I feel like that's that's something that doesn't get discussed enough. But your upbringing, it seemed like it made it made fire a little more appealing. Did you have to grapple with your past in order to like reshape your view of the path that you wanted to take? Or did you just know that that was something that you were always wanting to leave behind? I mean, I think everybody grapples with their past um, whenever it you know flares up uh, on a fairly regular basis um but you know what happens to us when we're young shapes us on such a deep level that sometimes we don't even know it and like being uh, a kid in a a household that didn't have a lot of money meant a lot of saying no and deprivation um you know no you can't have those uh, sneakers with the the lights on them. You know, did you guys have those when oh, you yeah. grew up? Well, they, I, I definitely did shoes. not. LA uh, lights is that what they're called? Something like that. Uh, something like that. But I mean, they were so awesome, and like I loved those <laughs> shoes, and I couldn't. We couldn't afford them. We I had to go with you know Skechers or whatever else. Um, so to become an adult with my own money and be like, I am in a position where if I you know, through a bit of luck and do things well, then I will never be in that position again is a really powerful motivator. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us about how deep the cuts went. Like I'm guessing once you got a normal job and you started getting paid a normal salary, most of your friends, coworkers, they're spending money in one way and you are granted you're starting off at this from the beginning. It's not like you went from spending a hundred percent of what you made or more than that. Like most Americans do to reducing your spend 40 50%, but still you're living a pretty countercultural existence. What was that like for you in in the day to day, the week to week and kind of and how did that impact your relationships? Yeah, uh it was really hard because what got me praise and validation and approval from the the people online in the fire movement um was regarded with a lot of confusion (laughs) and more than a little bit of of um teasing from people in my real life you know like Hmm. uh i would bring my lunch to work every day and it it was like an inside joke you know like oh go and save money she's bringing her lunch you know she's saving those five dollars um but it was like all those little things that i did compounded to make actually fairly big difference um but it was um, it was something that I didn't realize that was so impactful until I'd been in the fire movement for a couple of years and in my career that like, yeah, sure, you can avoid happy hour and save that, I don't know, 20 bucks, whatever, on drinks. But that comes at a cost to your relationships with your coworkers, which could have an impact on your career down the road that you don't even know because you missed out on making and forming and deepening those connections with the people around you. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the person who bikes to work, which we love, bike to work, but like doesn't take a shower before then. <laughs> I, I don't know. We've had and we've had <laughs> listeners like call in with questions about that kind of stuff, and and it is true that at some point you can go so far in that direction, and like forget about the social cues that really do matter when it comes to building relationships, but also building your career. Yeah, and like I would love to say that. Um, you know, corporate America isn't uh, based off of who you know, and you know it's it's based off your skills. But that's that's not true, right? It's a lot of times comes down to who you know and and who you have advocating for you. 
And if you need somebody to advocate for you and they don't know you very mm. well, then it might not yeah. go your way. No, that makes sense. And as you were talking about bringing your lunch in and saving five bucks, I was about to interject and be like, like a boss, <laughs> because like we're all about that. <laughs> Matt's the man from I mean, Leftoverville. Like literally, we bike to work. We bring our lunches in. Like we we still do all the cheap quote unquote cheap or frugal things, but simultaneously, I've worked for myself for the past. 17, 18 years or so. I don't even know. I've lost lost count. And it's a different sort of calculus yep. when, it, when it comes to having coworkers and sort of <laughs> integrating into the mainstream. And it's fascinating because you talk about how, like on one hand, like in one part of your life, you receive praise and validation or the words that you just used. Like you basically, you never made more than I think $80,000 in some of those early years, but you managed to amass over $200,000. In what, like five years, right? Yeah, five years. That's the part of your bio that in like yesteryear that folks would have been like how did, that's amazing like you were totally crushing it that gets the headlines in business insider <laughs> exactly like that, yeah. but then on the other hand maybe we shouldn't be giving you that praise because of like you said some of the different sacrifices that you had to that you had to make like so it, like looking back do you regret those priorities do you regret having say for instance been maybe a little little too, too cheap when it came to happy hours or going out to lunch with coworkers that kind of thing um i don't regret it because it was a it will be a very, very positive footnote in my life story overall. Mm -hmm. You know, like now I'm 33 and I don't have to worry about retirement because I saved all that money when I was in my 20s. And my career might have seen a little bit of a hit, but, you know, I'm working for longer than I thought. So I've got more time to recover. Um, so, like, I don't I don't really regret it. I think that was the time in your early 20s to kind of make those those choices and see how they kind of played out. Yeah. You, your your goal, your stated goal was to retire at the age of 35, right? Yep. What what was the rush and what were you planning to do at that point? Is it just maybe, um, and, and I don't mean this in like a disparaging way, but that you kind of drank the Kool-Aid, the fire Kool-Aid so hard and you're like, I guess I'm starting young. I should retire in 13, 14, 15 years. 35 sounds like a, a right time. The numbers can play out that way. Or was it something else driving you to kind of not work as long as now you're planning on working? Well, I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, corporate America, but it's not great <laughs> in like a lot of different ways. And so when I went from having control over the vast majority of my time and schedule uh, when I was in college and I went into my first full-time job, I was like, what do you mean I have to sit in this chair for eight hours a day at this computer? <laughs> it's a beautiful day outside. I want to go outside. You know, so it was... It was driven by initially by that like motivation of like, oh, I want to be in control of my time. Yeah. And if I get started this early, then I can exit early, um, you know, like Mr. Money Mustache did, like so many uh, of my friends, people who are now my friends in the fire community have done, have proven that it, it can and does work. Okay, but tell me this. When you quit... You you did quit corporate America. I did right, and and you you were a uh, a landlord. You had a some side businesses that you were trying to get off the ground, including your blog and your podcast, Etsy shop. Yeah, lots of different. But you real you realized, wait a second, corporate America actually isn't all as bad as I as I chalked it up to being. It's actually really hard to survive so hard. doing these other things. So maybe I don't know. It I get I get why you're what you're saying about kind of the potentially soul-sucking nature of corporate America. But it's also true that it's so much harder to bring in your own income and start a small business than maybe a lot of people let on. It turns out that the grass is not always greener <laughs> on the other side. 
Okay. So a part of that, I mean, you mentioned, or Joel mentioned, uh, like real estate. Talk to us about that. Uh. <laughs> because you documented you, you your desire to get into real estate. You saved a money. You got this triplex. And it wasn't all fluffy kittens and butterflies <laughs> uh, <laughs> for you. Share a little bit about that experience. Oh, okay, we're going deep into the trauma. All right. Um, yeah, no, it was it was not great because I was trying to be somebody that it wasn't. And mm. only one person told me before I bought the triplex that like, hey, that's like that I know you and that's not going to work out for you because you are too nice and you're a good person. <laughs> and you can't be that nice and that good of a person when you're a landlord. That's why Joel is such a great landlord. I'm heartless. Because he's a oh, horrible yeah. person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just I'm a, a monster. jerk. <laughs> but, you know, it turns out that that person was right. And I mm-hmm. didn't have a great time in real estate because I didn't do those hard things that you have to do in order to protect your investments, like background checking your tenants. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And not everyone's cut out for it either, which is something Matt and I talk about on the show. It, it, it seems like this is one of the kind of stamps that a lot of fire people want to put on in kind of their progress but then it it really it takes such um you need to take a crash course a master class essentially to do well at real estate investing and it's i think that's why the index fund thing lands so much more for people because buying index funds inside of tax advantaged accounts that's a pretty simple thing for people to do mm-hmm. owning rental properties and managing them as you found out is so much more intense. Yeah, and you know what? My story, honestly, would be completely different had that first property worked out and I bought another one, and if it was the second or third one that was such a nightmare, then I would have been like, oh, well, you know, like this is, you know, a one-off, right? But it was the first one I did, and I didn't have that, like, safety net um, behind me of other properties bringing income. You know, that, that was supposed to be the mainstay of my income, and instead of bringing in... $400 a month or whatever it was, it was costing me thousands of dollars over the course of the time that I owned it. Um, So I was like, wait a minute, this something that's supposed to be income producing and instead it's costing me $40,000 in 18 months. Like this is not going to work out. Like the math is not mathing. Yeah. It's doing the exact opposite. I'm hemorrhaging tons of cash. So I mean, the reason you went after that triplex was you're, you're trying to hit that level of financial independence. You had the podcast going, you were side hustling. And in the Fortune article, there's a quote and you said, I just remember going, why am I trying to save all this money? I don't look my best. I'm not taking care of myself as I should. What's the point? It seems like you got to a point to where you realized that none of this was working out or maybe some of it was working out, but you just realized that this wasn't something that you wanted to pursue. Anymore. The lifestyle wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Was, was there a clear point in time? Uh, was there a, a clear epiphany sort of moment or was this something that you gradually realized that you were getting tired of? Um, I think it was it was more of a gradual um, emergence from the stupor of the fire movement, I guess. Um but like uh, I was in Washington D.C. and uh, it's so expensive to live there compared to the Midwest. I mean, compared to basically anywhere, actually. And here I was trying to live these fire ideals, and I was broke. Like I, I didn't have any money to do anything, and I was like, "Why am I putting myself through the ringer to try and make this work when I don't have to?" Like, I don't 
need to be under this amount of self-imposed stress. And, and when you say broke, that doesn't mean you didn't have a positive net worth. It means you just were allocating maybe too many of your uh, your income dollars towards investments and not enough towards being able to live your life in the here and now. Yeah, and I, I still had money, um, but it was all tied up in tax advantaged mm-hmm. accounts and I couldn't actually spend yeah, any of yeah. it. So like, I just didn't have any money on hand. You know, here I am earning $85,000 a year and I'm like, I should go to the thrift store to buy a new pot because I can't afford to buy one at Target because I have money right now. I can't wait till I'm 59 and a half. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, 59 and a half. Yeah. I'm gonna, like count, the future count, one is going to ball out. Marking the X's <laughs> on the calendar just, you know, for decades and decades until you reach that age. 10,567 right. days left. <laughs> that's right. It gets a little depressing. And that's why balance is so crucial in personal finance. It's not that we shouldn't be investing regularly and attempting to invest a little bit more every year. But if you're doing it to the exclusion of being able to enjoy your life in the here and now, hoping for super fun times in retirement, Matt and I would say, I guess, and I think you would agree, Gwen, you're doing it wrong. Yep. All right, there's more questions we have to get to with you, including like, how do you adjust your spending as a recovering FIRE adherent? We'll, we'll get to some of those questions right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so Woo-hoo. we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on 
I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust and Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we are back from the break. And again, we're talking with Gwen Mers. Uh, she had a podcast about financial independence. She she had her blog. We mentioned that at the top, right? So Fiery Millennials. She was a fixture <laughs> within the movement. She was definitely in that like beating heart territory of the fire movement. You were one of those like top 10 people, Gwen, I think people turn to. Yes. Especially for like younger fire folks because you, you're, you were a, there's the Mr. Money mustache. There's hey, the she, old guard. She was guard. the millennials. Like, That's like, right. She, she was the new guard. Uh, I literally remember meeting you, Gwen, back in 2018. That was the first FinCon. I went to. Actually, I still remember a picture I think that we took. Oh, the, oh. the one at the airport? Was, I guess it was at the airport, but I remember uh, Mad Scientist was in it. Uh, Leaf, he was there oh. as well. Maybe we'll post, uh, yeah, we'll re- post reshare that. that one. Oh, you remember yes, what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think it was there in the actual yeah, convention center. I I, for those who haven't heard us talk about FinCon, it's a financial conference, thus FinCon. Bunch of money nerds. It's where money and media meet. <laughs> <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the conference or the slogan. But I'm so curious, like, what was the response from, from other folks who were some of those early voices of the FIRE movement as you started to change your tune? It's like excommunication? Or are they just like, <laughs> sorry, Gwen, you're not our friend anymore? Or have they been nice about it? Well, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because when I joined the FIRE movement, I, f- I filled kind of a niche that wasn't that wasn't uh, full at that point, um, you know, where you had Mr. Money Mustache and you had the Mad Scientist and you have all these married software engineers um, who were in their <laughs> mid-30s. That's, that's true. And here I am, you know, young, single woman. Uh, granted, I was in IT earning a fairly high salary. So, um, you know, there's that little caveat there. But, um, <laughs> like, there was, there weren't very many people like me at that time and so that's kind of what stood out about the blog and about my journey is like hey if they're like if you can answer the question what would you do if you went back uh to 22 and you knew everything that you knew now what 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 would you do and the answer is like what Gwen did you know like saved all of her money tried to spend as little as possible um so when I started like being like, hey, you know, like I, I'm bumping my savings down. I'm not maxing out my 401k anymore. Um, at first, it was um, there. There was there was some teasing and disapproval from people in the fire movement. Um, so like I remember Mr. Money Mustache being like, what? you're not a fiery millennial anymore. You're a soggy millennial. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something he would say. But, 
Guess who just bought a brand new Tesla? <laughs> Guess who's wintering in Arizona? Arizona, where yeah. the sun's shining, not up in, not shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah, at some point, I guess that's it, what Pete's doing. It's you wear it as a badge of honor that you keep your spending down to twenty three thousand dollars a year or something like that, whatever it is he he says he spends. Um, and at some point, though, what is like? It, it's not that you have to do that. It's a choice. It's yeah. a choice, and maybe it's just because you want to continue to keep up some sort of internet persona or maybe it's because you truly believe that you have no need to spend any of this other money and that it's going to allow you to be more generous in the future i guess it just depends on the individual but you came to the realization that like wait a second spending more money will make me happier yeah and like i don't need to spend all of my money i just needed to spend more of my money than i was yeah okay so not being able to spend money, it's not the typical American problem, as Matt alluded to in the beginning. But for folks listening to a money podcast, I think at least some of them might resonate with that reality more than your typical average American, right? It, it seems ridiculous that not spending enough is a problem for some people, but that is the truth of it, right? And especially in the crowd that you run in, and especially with what, like I was saying, some of our audience members do deal with. I've had to address that in my own life, Gwen. Like my parents, you know, declared bankruptcy when I was 12, and that has changed my whole trajectory with money. And I've had to learn that wait a second, that doesn't mean that I have to be frugal to a fault. I can start to incorporate mindful spending. I guess I'm curious, like when you're talking to people in the fire movement now, like are you able to kind of offer advice about opening up the pocketbook in wise ways? Yeah, and. Um, I see like the shift happening in the fire community, um, you know, the different kinds of fire. It's not all or nothing anymore. It's like, oh, you're coast fi or you're doing slow fi. Um, and it, there's there is more of a, a moderate tone coming into the fire movement, which is fantastic. But, you know, you have a, some of these people who for their entire adult lives, they've thought about money in one way, and that way is we need to save as much as possible so we don't have X, Y, or Z happen. Um, and I remember I was in the car on the way to um, uh, a work meeting that was, I don't know, like an hour away, and I was listening to a podcast, and it was the uh, I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast with roommate Sadie, um, where Carl and Mindy were on it. And Carl and Mindy went on that podcast and said, we have four point, I think $3 million. <laughs> um, and we have no idea how to spend it. And if we don't figure out how to spend it, you know, in 20 years or whatever, we're going to have $16 million to spend and we're going to be in an even bigger hole. Mm -hmm. And it was just like a completely kind of ridiculous way of thinking about money <laughs> like we're going to we already have more money than we know how to spend right now yeah. and it's just going to keep getting worse unless we figure it out now yeah most people would hear that and they would just want to like smack the person saying <laughs> saying that because they're like that is not a real problem um but it, it, it truly is a problem that a lot of people face and i can totally identify with our friends Minnie and carl who we both had on on this show they're 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 people that have, they're awesome folks. They're um, fantastic. Yeah, and 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 but that is a real problem to be grappled with because you can go so far down the frugality, investing, smart saving rabbit hole that you forget that wait a second, I can spend some of this. And, and Carl's doing better about that. Like so much what, better. He, 
spend spend good money on updated his car but he also um like brought a band in to Mm -hmm. uh for a birthday party sort of thing and like they got the helicopter ride when they went to hawaii (laughs) yeah (laughs) see like those are the kind of things we need to push ourselves on when we've done a good job saving and investing yeah so like i I was yelling at the speakers at mindy and carl on the podcast i was like i can't help you i went through (laughs) this i learned how to do this um but like how many people aren't willing to go on Ramit's podcast and talk about that? How many yeah. other people like don't even know that they are in that problem? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, uh, the vast majority of folks are dealing with the exact opposite, but there are there is a sub a subset. And tell us about the some of the different experiments that you ran when it came to trying to figure out for you what would bring you joy ultimately yeah. or i guess right like like what what it is that's going to bring you happiness uh talk about how you approach spending in different areas of your life well the best thing that i ever did for my happiness was moving away from washington dc <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's only a little bit of shade on the dc area um but <laughs> i mean it was so expensive and my salary level like did not change when i got there it was the same as the midwest and it went nowhere near as far as my salary did at the Midwest. So I moved back home. Um, and instead of um, finding uh, you know, the cheapest place uh, that I could possibly you know, find and save the most money on my housing, one of the big three expenses, I was like, what if I just found an apartment that I liked and that was in a, an area that had cool things going on around it. So uh, I got a job in St. Louis and I moved to St. Louis and I rented this amazing apartment and it cost me uh what was it eleven twenty five um in twenty nineteen and that was the most that I'd ever spent on housing, but I loved living there. I was three blocks from a huge park, I was right by the uh, Missouri Botanical Garden. I wasn't far from work um it had an extra bedroom, so when I got locked into my apartment for you know six months because of covid um at least I had a place to work. Uh, remotely so um, you know that came super in handy and um, it just was one of those things where it was like okay a little change goes a long way and I applied that to tons of other areas uh, in my budget um, with um, electronics you know I no longer try and eke out every year of life out of my phone I buy a new phone every year. <laughs> oh, you going overboard, Gwen? Uh, okay, no, yeah, I, know. I can't sign off on this one. Gwen started but, hey, making me a little nervous. Yeah, you, know, you listen. You live your life, Gwen. You seen, no judgment here. Okay. Have you seen the pictures of my cat? <laughs> you t- I'm sure you take the finest cat pics around now. He's beautiful, and he deserves the best camera equipment to take the best <laughs> photos of him. But you know, like, like I realized, okay, well, I could spend twelve hundred dollars on a new phone every three years. Let's say. And because that's what I kept my my phones for is when I was super hard into Fi, or I could trade my phone in and buy it immediately when it comes out when it's a super discounted price uh, as an incentive, and then I pay four hundred dollars a year, and then I have a brand new phone every year. That's right. Well, and specifically for you, I mean, you, you touched on this in your writing too, but like electronics, gaming consoles, computers for you that was that's always been a priority and maybe you wouldn't have 
called it that back you know back in the day but like you talk about like looking over a friend's shoulder on the bus and like being yelled at by the bus driver because you want to see what's going on yeah because like pokemon he was playing pokemon <laughs> red and i didn't have yes. a game boy i couldn't play pokemon but i wanted to because it was 1998 and everybody was obsessed with pokemon <laughs> well t- and food is another one of those areas you, you you write about that you've done some experimenting on you went from like a meager 200 dollar a month budget for food and now yeah. you're spending something like six or seven hundred bucks a month. So it's it's not like you're even just dipping your toes in. You're making kind of dramatic choices in order to attempt to improve your day to day life by spending more in intentional ways. Yeah, talk to us about the the food experiment. Yeah. So when I first started out, I like you said was spending two hundred dollars, and one hundred dollars of that was going towards a CSA, and they gave me eighteen pounds of meat a month, which doesn't seem like, I mean, that seems like a lot of meat, right? But that's like eight, it does, yeah. it's like eight ounces uh, of meat per meal. Um, and I'm one person. That's, that's bare minimum for Joel. That's yeah, right. well, <laughs> and I'm one person. Uh, I don't eat a ton. So it that worked out perfectly for me because, yeah. you know, here I am. I can't eat two dozen eggs in one month. Like, that's a lot of eggs for me. So it worked out really well. And then I would spend the, the other $100 at the farmer's market or at the grocery store. Um, or on the occasional meal out with friends or coworkers or what have you. And that worked okay. Um, you know, I like I had plenty of food to eat and it was really good quality and like I wasn't like starving myself or anything. But I was, like you said, you know, seeing that social impact and especially like when dating, you know, when you're going out on a new date, it, it goes a long way for, for women to uh, pick up the bill every once in a while. And so... When I was like, no, I don't want to go out when it was my time uh, to, to pay. You know, it was like, uh, that comes off a little wrong, right? So I was like, what happens? You know, I, I did a couple months. I was like, what happens if I just say yes to doing whatever I want? I, I didn't bring my lunch every day to, to work. I went out with friends and coworkers for happy hours. And like, I had a great, a great time. I was like, okay. Okay, but like I didn't even spend that much more than I thought, and um, the framework for that one kind of came from Brandon, the mad scientist, actually, when they were traveling and they were trying to keep it cheap, and he's like, "What if we just like didn't try and keep it cheap?" And they didn't even spend that much more money, and so I was hmm. like, "I bet the same is true for me because I'm not one of those people." And this is something that Ramit says all the time. He's like, "You don't go to um, a Michelin star restaurant and then be like, well." I guess this is the only food I can ever eat from here on out. It's a once, <laughs> you know, it's a treat every once in a while. It's a splurge. Um, and so I I had to trust myself that I am still the practical, sensible person at heart that I am, uh, even without the lens of fire, and that I wasn't going to go crazy and go out for steak dinners and beef tartare and lobster i don't name one <laughs> although occasionally that sounds wonderful it is great i had, <laughs> I had beef tartare and steak for a five course meal on new year's eve this year and it was very nice fantastic very nice yeah well it sounds like yeah you know yourself you've got the frugal gene in you still and you're not going to go all the financial version of gwen's rum springa you know <laughs> just because you are abandoning some of the principles of fire maybe that you had had adhered to for a long time i'm curious would you mind sharing what your savings rate was kind of at your height of fire adherence and maybe kind of where you are now because we're talking about all these ways that you're expanding your lifestyle you're spending more so 
what's the difference between kind of where your savings rate was from percentage wise and kind of where it, where it stands now? Uh, I think my savings rate at its highest was like 73 or 74%. Wow. Uh, Dang. I think I only no managed to hit that for like- kind of sort of hated your life there, Gwen. <laughs> right? And I wasn't, I was bringing in $80,000 a year, you know? Like yeah, there's I wasn't, a big difference if you're pulling in seven fifty. A year, and, and, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and you're, you're saving eighty percent, but that is not the case. You're making yeah a tenth of yeah. that. And um, I don't even know really <clears throat> what my savings rate is now <laughs> because uh, I that's all far I put she's in ten percent into my four hundred one k because that's um, a match plus a little bit extra. Then I just kind of spend whatever's left because again, I I don't really have to save for retirement. Um, I I do have I, you are. I I am a little bit, but I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, I do save up for things like um, I'll need a car in a couple of years, so I'm starting a car fund. You haven't like well, lost all intentionality with your finances. You're just prioritizing different things and yeah. prioritizing your future retirement a whole lot less because you've already done a lot of hard work on that front. Yeah, and like my fiance and I bought a house uh, in December. So, um, use some of my savings for that. So I like, you know, I'm not going like, uh, oh, I have a penny left over this month. Excellent. I did such a great job, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I'm also not maxing out my 401k and my Roth IRA and my HSA and trying to put money into every, a brokerage account either. Every yeah. possible account that's available to you. Yeah. So yeah. to answer Jill's question, you're in, you're setting aside at least 10% plus. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say Towards probably retirement. somewhere between like 15 and 20%. 15 and 20, yeah. So, okay, I, I would love to hear your, like, how are you then going to balance, like, intentionally spending money as opposed to justifying spending, like, mindless spending, right? Because, like, in any category that we spend in uh, in our lives, I think you can make an argument for oh, well, this is going to help out when it comes to networking. Well, oh, this is something that I value now. It's like, oh, well, I want to be able to, whatever, what, like literally any category we can self-justify, right? Could become it, a slippery slope. But at, so like at a certain point that you have to draw a line. And so how for you are you drawing that line? Like like either how are you deciding where that line is for you or how are, how are you like processing that? Yeah, um, I use the concept of remits money dials. So he says, dial up the spending on the things that you love and relentlessly cut everything else that you don't care about. And so there's still a lot of things that I don't care about and don't really need to spend money on. Um, So like I just kind of just let those things ride. Like Mm -hmm. I have a lot of the furnishings for my house. You know, I'm not going to redecorate my house every three years or whatever. Um, Like i gotten to a pretty good spot with my furniture and my furnishings and um we're merging households here soon we move into the new house after we finish renovating um so like you know we don't need to use this opportunity to buy all new furniture and all new pillows and you know artwork and whatever like we can we can keep what we've got in the new place um it doesn't have to be like on the the cover of um a style magazine or whatever. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there, there are things that I, I care about and have like a yes ready to go for things. Like, um, it was, <laughs> it was the best. So, um, my 
niece messaged me on Facebook and she was nine years old and she goes, Auntie Gwen, guess what? And I was like, what? And she goes, I saved up enough money to go to Harry Potter World. And I was like, wow, that's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. And she's like, will you go with me? And I was like, heck yeah, I want to res- you know, reward that fiscal responsibility at such that's a young awesome. age. Um, and she's like, great, I'll go tell mom. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Uh, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> and my sister was like, I'm not going to what it, Universal. She was like- Wizarding world of Harry Potter. Yeah, she was like, you're not going to go to Universal Studios with my daughter without me. And I was like, that's fair. Um, so- <laughs> my niece contributed what she had saved up for her ticket and then i the the bank of auntie gwen paid for uh flights and hotels and food and souvenirs and stuff while we were there and like i never would have done that a couple years ago Mm, yeah um but we stayed on premises um we ate lunch at the parks like we we got pizza for uh, meals at you know the hotel like it was just, um, hey, we want to have a really great time and have this amazing memory and this experience yeah. with the people I care the most about. Yeah. And I don't, it didn't really matter what it cost because it couldn't, yeah. it didn't cost that much. Well, you, it's, it, you can't discount the relational factors. And in particular for you, like so much of why I think you were able to say yes to that was because of the fact that you had worked so hard early on. Mm-hmm. And we talk about front loading the sacrifice. And so we've got more questions to get to. And we're, we're going to talk about how, in fact, the, the fire movement, it, there is some good to it. But uh, maybe you just need to take a more nuanced approach. We'll get to that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, 
Think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back. We're still talking with Gwen Merce about why she left the fire movement. And uh, Gwen, I'm curious, if we were steel manning the fire movement right now, which means the strongest potential case, right, for what makes the fire movement great, how how would you state it? What would you say to someone who's like fire curious <laughs> um, about maybe the finer points and what makes signing up for the fire movement and having such a high savings rate and you know, in investing for your future significantly early on in your career, what makes that such a smart move? Uh, I think it's it's a lot like um, any other worthwhile endeavor. Um, putting a little bit of effort early on goes a long way um, down the road. And um, when you're young, you're used to living simply um, with roommates and you're driving a crappy car and none of your friends have any money anyway. Um, So if you extend that just for a couple of years and you don't start to really inflate your lifestyle, then you're going to be so much better off down the road. Yeah. It's just about delaying some of that consumption just a little bit longer just a little than bit. it provides the ability for you to take that money and stick it in, in, into investments. And instead of seeing the value of all of those assets decline, yeah, you get to see that grow. I love the way Dr. Jim Dolly phrases it from the White Coat Investor. He says to doctors to continue living like a resident, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, hey, you just got at least for a few years to kind of delay some of those ups, up, uh, lifestyle upgrades. You've been in school, you've been a resident, it's been a long time coming, and you're like looking forward to that that six-figure paycheck, that six-figure annual salary, but if you can just hold off on the upgrades for a little bit longer, it's going to lead to you know significant improvements in you being able to pay down that debt, increase your net worth as you're investing, um, and it's going to lead to just a whole lot more future lifestyle choices open up to you when you delay some of that consumption. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you have to take it as hard as I do and only you know spend $200 and get a get a triplex in disrepair and and rent it out and go like that hard but you know even just setting your 401k match to get the whole match and then going maybe an extra 10% like if you haven't if you haven't set your lifestyle in stone it is at that point then it is super easy to just make that your normal but like you know, I, I talk to some people, and I'm like, yeah, I'm only saving 10%. And they're like, only 10%? I'm only managing to save eight. Um, but they made, like, different choices than I did, right? They have kids. Yeah. They have um, a wife. You know, they have a house. And they have all these things that 
are demands on your money that you might not have uh, at such an early age. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like like going from one extreme to the other. Like I think oftentimes for folks who are going too hard into fire, it's like there almost seems to be like an obsession with the numbers, yeah. as opposed to looking at all else that life <laughs> offers. <Yeah. laughs> and so. Because um, I think for a lot of folks, that's what makes it so difficult to spend some of that money is because nothing is really appealing as seeking that independence, that freedom. Nothing is as important as seeing their net worth grow. Like on one hand, I, like I almost feel like it's as simple as just like getting, like you said, like getting a hobby, like getting a life <laughs> as opposed to being overly focused on the numbers and like where the numbers become the goal in and of themselves as opposed to allowing them to to get you to arrive to where you want to be so that you can, in fact, live life. It sort of sounds like that that's what you went through. Yeah, like, you know, there's tons of different um, values to look at your life through. Um, And frugality is one. Um, But what if you um, value, what if you looked at your life through a health lens? Um, And you're like, I want to place my health first your spending is going to change. You know, it's like, oh, what if I um, want to travel, you know, and expand my horizons, then your spending will look different. You know, so there's all these priorities that you can place on your spending before the cost. It's almost like if the headline fire number is the end all be all the goal. And that's the other thing too. We that we've we've now gotten to the point in the fire movement where we've seen some of the people, some of the leaders in the movement hit that number. And most of them have said that after they hit that number, it was a big letdown. Yeah. Because they weren't necessarily looking to achieve a specific lifestyle that that number would afford because like Matt was saying it was so numbers focused, maybe they missed out on something like bigger than yeah. the number something that goes beyond it and and the truth is you can we talk matt and i talk about this all the time is like there's different stages of financial independence totally. and how if it's this like all or nothing mentality you're missing out on so much of the ability kind of like you're alluding to gwen with like paying for that trip to florida for your loved ones that's the kind of financial independence you can reap today before you're fully financially independent that really makes life exciting and fun in the here and now while you're still trying to save and achieve ultimate financial independence too yep it's totally true all right well gwen seriously thank you so much for joining us today on the show talking about your experience and i love that we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but we are <laughs> talking about making significant changes and not overdoing it not going too hard in one direction. Um, where can where can our listeners, where can How to Money listeners find out more about you and what you're up to these days? Yeah, they can go to my blog at fieryMillennials.com and I'm on pretty much any form of social media at Fiery Millennial uh, or Fiery Millennials uh, depending on the character limit. <clears throat> Looking at you, Twitter. <laughs> Very cool. We'll make sure to link to a lot of those. Gwen, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Matt, that was a good conversation with our yeah. friend Gwen. Been a minute since we've uh, chatted with her. That's right. And I always, I, you know what? She didn't make it at FinCon this past year. In politics, they call <laughs> it flip-flopping. But I love it when people have the ability to change their mind, like, and they do it, and then they're willing to talk about yeah. what led to that lifestyle change. Because it's- Life is dynamic, and we're always changing, man. And there's shades of gray, and you yeah. know what? We should all be willing to change our mind as 
new information comes to light, as the dude would say mm-hmm. in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what was your big takeaway from this conversation? Uh, I wrote one thing, I think only one thing down <laughs> during the conversation because I knew this was going to be my big takeaway. And she said that she was trying to be someone that she wasn't. Mm. This was when she was talking about getting the triplex and she wanted to do the whole, you know, the real estate thing. And I think that is such wisdom coming from Gwen and I think it's something that we can all take not only in the ways that we pursue wealth so in this case she was talking about that from a uh, growing her wealth right like she was like oh this is another way that I can side hustle this is something that a lot of folks are doing I hear a lot of folks talking about it sounds like it's a good thing for me to consider but for her, she knew it's, it's almost like deep down. She kind of knew that this wasn't going to work <laughs> work yeah. out for her, but she did it anyway. I think it almost for her probably felt like a necessary stepping stone on yeah. the fire path. It's like is a, is a part everybody of, else in fire is doing it's it. It's part of the fire persona. Exactly. Yeah. And but, that's why you and I, by the way, you and I are real estate investors. We talk about it, I don't know, semi-regularly on the show, but we also don't overhype it. We don't ever sell it because there's a lot of people in the real estate space and it's all about like, you got to do it. This is your path to riches. Yeah. And the truth is, it's a heck of a lot of work yeah. to do it well takes... We've always talked about that. Yeah. It is not purely passive income. There's certainly a part-time job element to mm-hmm. that. But she was talking about that from a wealth generation or income generating standpoint. But I think the same can also be applied to how it is that we choose to spend our money, uh, making sure that we are staying true to ourselves and spending our money in the ways that we want to spend yeah. our money, not what it is that either the world says or your super frugal fire loving buddy what he says like figure out what it is for you for you and your family the things that are going to be a priority for you it's almost like in the fire movement like now the tesla is the vehicle of choice or something like that and it's that's fine but like do what you want to do drive what you want to drive like live live the life you want to live and that takes so much proactive intentionality yeah that's why and we'll link to this in the show notes we always talk about the how to money money mission statement where you can it's like 30 minutes ask yourself some of these questions still a great time to do that with it being still towards the beginning of the year yeah yeah so i think that that can be helpful for folks who are trying to figure out well i don't know what is it that i want to intentionally spend on while i cut back on other things what is my craft beer equivalent yeah how Um, about for you what was your big takeaway though so i don't like when you were talking about hobbies that really resonated with me and so i think part of the reason maybe that we work so much in the united states of america is because we haven't found awesome other ways to proactively spend our time mm-hmm. and hobbies are just something which makes sense because when you go to work and you're spending at least eight hours every single day yeah. you, you get really good at that thing and you and it's nice to be good at something it starts to fully encompass your life yeah and so yeah. i think you know we talked about this regularly too the core pursuits that our friend Wes moss talks about the happiest retirees have more core pursuits they have more essentially hobbies on steroids that they're into and those don't develop overnight you have to be developing those through the years while you're working which probably means working less which might mean making a little bit less which might mean that you have to be like frugal in some really savvy and intelligent ways but i think those hobbies add so much zest to your life and if you're not thinking about those and engaging in those on the reg in the here and now you're not going to turn them up to 11 once you finally do hit the retirement age so that's right it's, it's same thing with relationships balance yeah yeah same thing with the relationship same thing with when it comes to your personal health these aren't things that you can say oh well once i retire oh well, in a decade once i get whatever level position that you're you know that you've got your sights set on by that time, your something. rudder has shifted ever so slightly, and you've drifted so oh, far. You are so far, yeah, yeah. often left field. 
mixing our metaphors over here. So yeah, so figure out what hobbies matter to you and then, I don't know, partake in them regularly, whether it's pickleball, hiking, nerdy board games, uh, disc golf, figure out those. They don't have to be expensive either. Like you don't have to buy a $4,000 sewing machine, although you can, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But like it's so much of it is is up to you and it's about how you want to spend your time, but just make sure you're spending your time intentionally the way you want to spend it. That's right. All right. Our beer that we enjoyed during this episode, buddy, is a wholesome wave georgia on my mind i guess that's what the name of the beer is called uh this is a collaboration uh with wholesome wave georgia so they make fresh it's like a non-profit right yeah fresh healthy locally grown produce affordable and available to all georgians but this was a pale ale by piedmont brewery what were your thoughts on this one buddy all right so i i love a good pale ale with like hop significant hop forwardness this this fit that bill. Yeah, um, this is a fantastic beer. Sometimes the double IPAs can be a little too intense for me, uh, although I like them. But this it was not too heavy. Had stone fruit, tropical note vibes, and it was super juicy. Yeah, mm-hmm. juicy but not overwhelming from a palate fatigue standpoint. So this was yeah, I really enjoyed it. A nice hazy pale, another great one from Piedmont Brewery. But that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. We'll make sure to link to Gwen's uh, her site where it is that you can learn more about her up in our show notes at howtomoney.com. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.